Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Red Sox podcast. What a show we have today because my good friend Matt McCarthy from 98.5 The Sports Hub has interviewed me for his podcast maybe a half dozen, if not more times. And it's always one of my favorite, favorite interviews to do because Matt and I just see eye to eye on things. And yeah, I think we have some pretty good discourse when we don't see eye to eye, but we tend to see pretty, pretty close together uh, the way we look at baseball and the way we look at the Red Sox. Um, so I am pumped to have Matt here. We're going to break down the Red Sox trade deadline. I know it happened five, six days ago now, but it's still pretty relevant. And I know Matt has some interesting thoughts uh, that I want to talk to him about. And we're going to talk about where the Red Sox go from here. So it's going to be a great show. Hang with us. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. You can download the app, the Spotify Green Room app, and you could find one of the lockdown rooms. So check it out there. All right, Matt. I heard you on Felger and Maz Monday. Sorry to and hear I, about that. <laughs> I, I think I think the, the takeaway that I got from what you had to say was pretty close to what I was feeling, which was nobody expected them to go out and trade Tristan Casas or Jaron Duran or Tanner Houck. You know, th- their top prospects and guys that are helping them right now, nobody expected that. But we expected them to maybe use the middle of their system to go for some mid-tier guys. We expected them to take on some salary. They didn't do either of those. And that is your biggest complaint with what happened at the trade deadline. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, listen, the Red Sox didn't improve enough. Um, Kyle Schwarber is an upgrade. They're a better team now on paper than they were uh, before the deadline, Jason. There's, There's no denying that. But with how aggressively everybody else improved, it's just, you know, to me, a bit of a tough pill to swallow as a Red Sox fan because it's not that they didn't improve enough, which they didn't, but it's also the reasons that they didn't improve enough. I am not at all upset that they didn't get Jose Barrios, my guy, I love him, uh, but you didn't have the prospects for that. I'm not at all upset that they didn't get Max Scherzer. You didn't have the prospects for that. Well, and frankly, well hang on. Yeah, hold on. They, Go they, ahead. They could have They could have got Barrios if they wanted to give up like Cassis and and And, and Duran. And maybe Durant, but you're not going to do that essentially. And you, you're fine with that. Totally fine. Totally fine with that. No, I mean, it's not that they can't, it's that it would have cost so much that it's ridiculous. Right. I I set a hard line going into this deadline. I said, I'm not trading Tristan Casas for anybody. That's just the way it is. You know, I wouldn't have. So, and I don't think you could have really matched up what the Blue Jays did there. Cause I don't know if you had a pitching prospect to match up the pitching prospect that they gave up. So, you know, to, to beat that deal, you probably would have had to include somebody like Casas and to me, that's just, it's absurd. It's not worth it. Um, so I'm not upset that they didn't compete at the top of the market. I'm upset that they essentially punted on the middle of the market. I mean, they didn't do anything, you know, to add an everyday first baseman or to add a back end of the rotation starter or to add, you know, a bullpen piece like Ryan Tapera, who didn't go to the White Sox for all that much. The fact that they didn't compete in that part of the market, that to me was really frustrating. And I think there were two reasons they didn't, Jason. One was the luxury tax, uh, which they made very clear. Heinblum said they were mindful of the CBT. 
uh, that should you know never really be acceptable, you know, particularly after you reset your tax uh, penalties. And also, you know, I do think they valued maybe the middle of their system more than perhaps they should have. The Yankees were willing to trade their ninth and 12th prospects for Anthony Rizzo. The Red Sox said that's too much. That's expensive. To me, that should never be too expensive for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. And, and you know, my immediate reaction, I went on with Christian Arcand uh, Friday night shortly after the deadline. And I was kind of defending the Red Sox a little bit in that I am with you. I did not want them to trade Tristan Casas. Obviously, you're not going to trade Duran or Hauk when they help you right now. Uh, you know, you go down, maybe, I, I would have been fine if they traded Jeter Downs. Really, the majority of the system, other than them, I would have been fine with. But the big moves that were made would have required those guys. So I am totally on board with you. And I kind of was defending the Red Sox in that way. The only way that they are indefensible is having the desire not to go over the luxury tax threshold this year makes no sense to me. They already reset last year. It's not like they're trying to end the streak and limit their penalties. You have to go 40 million over before you even suffer any draft pick knockdown. They're not going to go 40 million over. Uh, look at like Chris Bryant. They could have got mm -hmm. Chris Bryant. He went for nothing. Yeah. They, the Giants just had to take a salary. That was it. You know, you could have Chris Bryant on your team. Like this guy's a star. If you would have just taken some money, like what even more inexcusable than the Rizzo trade, which I do think is inexcusable to let him go to the Yankees uh, for some middle tier prospects is the Chris Bryant deal. And some of these other deals where all you had to do was take on money. That's it. Yeah, you know, Jason, it's a great point. And, and this is, you know, not really a point that, that I've made so far because, you know, I took a look at that Rizzo at the, at the Bryant deal and it happened when I was on the air at the time. And I said, man, that doesn't really seem like a lot. And admittedly, I haven't looked into it too much uh, because my thought process was like, well, he had to go for more than that, right? The Red Sox absolutely could have made that deal. He gives you positional versatility. He's an impact bat. You know, so I, I've heard a lot over the last few days, you know, Sean McAdam wrote about this and, you know, people have been saying this. Well, you know, the prices got really high. The prices got really, you know, expensive at the deadline. They did. Yeah, on the whole, they did. But that didn't mean that there were still spots that you couldn't, you know, make a good deal and, and make a good trade. Uh, Chris Bryant is the prime example at the top of the market. It doesn't feel like he went for, you know, maybe even as much as, as Anthony Rizzo, which is kind of a little bit strange. Um, Tapera didn't go for anything. Danny mm -hmm. Duffy, who was one of my guys, nothing. granted he's hurt. He went for a player to be named later. Yeah, There nothing. were deals to be made at the middle of the market. I think Red Sox fans were kind of focusing on Scherzer, focusing on Barrios, because those were names that were hot over the last few days. I I've got no problems that they didn't make those deals. I've got problems that they didn't make other deals where, where the cost was much more, uh, much more palatable, and they so, just chose not to, to compete. Uh, or very not surprisingly, we completely are in agreement on that. I can't. I just can't figure out why they didn't want to add money. Like, wh what is stopping them from doing it? If it, it can't be pure cheapness, can it? It's not just that. Oh well, we don't want to pay a twenty for twenty percent overage on. Let's say we took on you know a guy like Chris Bryant, who I think made seventeen million this year, whatever prorated portion of that is six million dollars. Well, we don't want to pay him six million, and then twenty percent tax on that is eight you know eight million dollars. We, we didn't want to pay. Is it just that? Is it purely we don't think adding eight million to this team is going to be a big enough difference for us where it's worth it. Like, can it be that simple that they were just cheap? Is that it? Well, I, I think there are a lot of factors. I mean, I, I never want to call the Red Sox cheap because over the last 15, 20 years, 
you know, John Henry has spent a lot of money on his baseball team, you know, and I mean, in the Dave Dombrowski years, they went into the tax so much that they did go 40 million over and they did have those draft pick penalties. Obviously, they're not spending the way they once did uh, post COVID world. Uh, maybe Henry has other interests with Liverpool, all those things. I, I understand that. So I think you can say that maybe they're not as willing to spend money uh, as much money as they you know once were, but they still have spent $210 million on this team. So I don't necessarily want to call them cheap. I do think in some ways, Bloom does play a role here. And again, it ultimately comes down to the owner and his willingness to go into the tax. And I understand that. But Bloom comes from Tampa where, you know, you can where he's so used to operating on a shoestring budget where, you know, he probably has the mentality that, no, we don't need to go into the tax. It's not good business to go into the tax. And I think maybe Bloom plays into that. And I don't think Bloom is going to be the type going into the you know office with John Henry, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy saying, we must add payroll. We must improve. Heim Bloom probably says, no, we don't need to do that. You know, we can operate creatively around this. And they say, yes, absolutely. What owner doesn't want to hear or what business, you know, somebody who runs a business, anything doesn't want to hear a person below him saying we can save money here. We can cut a corner here and there. So it does come down to Henry. But I think Bloom and his mentality kind of plays into it, too. Right. And and if they showed a willingness to give up more of those middle tier prospects, then we could say maybe it was more of a money issue. Uh, because they didn't, I think you're absolutely right. Um, let's take a quick break. We got more with Matt McCarthy coming right up. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. You and fans just like you in Spotify Greenroom can go for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and react to big news or trades. You can even find some of our Locked On hosts across all the networks, MLB, NBA, NHL, and check it out now. So it's available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, join the group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. Uh, I'll be sure to let you know once I'm on the Locked On Red Sox room. So download the Spotify Green Room app today. All right, back with Matt McCarthy of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Uh, we talked a little bit about Tristan Casas and how you didn't want to give him up. I didn't want to, I thought that probably, unless you're getting a controllable stud, you're yeah. not giving him up either. Um, since the trade deadline, he's hit two huge home runs for team USA in the Olympics. One of them was on a curveball near his ankles that he golfed out of the stadium. And the other one, he takes the opposite field. He's kind of carrying this team USA club, even though they lost to Japan, they can still make the gold medal game if they win the next two games and Eduardo Perez from ESPN keeps talking about him on the broadcast. Like the Red Sox got to call this guy up. The Red Sox got to call this guy up. He hasn't torn apart triple A this or double A this year, which I think is a problem. If he had like a 900 OPS in double A, we'd be talking about that. But I think you can make the case to call him up. What are your thoughts on this before I give you mine? You know, this has been something I've been kicking around the last day or two as well, because I, I, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the highlight of that home run. He hit to the opposite field against Japan. You're like, this is major league stuff right here, which is, I mean, I think the guy's a stud. I thought the guy's been a stud for a while. Uh, just the reports you got from him from the alternate site last year uh, were just remarkable. His his approach is so advanced. I just love watching him hit. He chokes up on the bat. Who chokes up on the bat anymore? It's great. Uh, but he has got tremendous power. He's got tremendous command of the plate, tremendous approach. Uh, I, the guy's a stud, which is why, to me, he was he was untouchable. 
I don't think they should call him up at this point. Let me rephrase that. I don't think they will call him up at this point. Uh, as to your point, he hasn't torn apart double A. He's been good. He's been fine. He's played, what, like 45, 50 games there. I mean, he hasn't played all that much. He barely, you know, saw time at high A before he ended up at double A this year. So he's handled the jump from low A to double A from 2019 to 2021 uh, quite well. I think this guy could actually contribute sort of at the major league level right now, just because I think he's so advanced and I think his approach is so good. But I do think for his overall development, it's probably best if he spends the rest of the year in the minors. Now, you could bump him up to AAA at this point. I'd be fine with that. I think he'd hold his own at the big league level, but I do think it's better off for Tristan Casas as a whole, you know, to maybe come up next year instead of this year. But there's no doubt he's on the fast track here. I mean, even though he's not that experienced at the minor league level at every level he goes to, he shows you why he's a special talent. Yeah. And it's hard for me because I believe in this guy so much. I've seen him in spring training. Mm -hmm. I've talked to him extensively. He's just got, there's a factor with him where you're like, this kid's a star. It's going to happen for him. He's so humble. He just, he's the real deal. Uh, The numbers aren't there. That's, that's the number one problem. The number two problem here is, if they call him up, it is such a move of desperation that it almost just like stinks that stink. You wonder, yeah. like, how does how does the team handle that that smell of desperation? Like, we're so screwed that we have to call up this kid who's 21 years old, who's clearly not ready uh, to start helping us right now. But I think you can make the argument that they should call him up if a Kyle Schwarber is a disaster at first base or B somebody gets hurt. Because if Verdugo's hamstring keeps bothering him, he can't play. Or if Duran is a total disaster and just strikes out 50% of the time and is unplayable. Uh, Or if Hunter Renfro gets hurt or Kyle Schwarber's hurt and not playable. If for whatever reason you miss one of your key left-handed bats like Schwarber, Verdugo, or Duran, then I think you can make the argument to call him up because there's nobody else in the system who's going to make an impact at the plate from the left-handed side like he can right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a scenario in which it does make sense. And, you know, the scenario that I was kicking around in my head was Schwarber, can he not play first base? Is he a disaster? And it gets to the point where it's not kind of like a we're desperate, although you are desperate, but it's a, hey, you know what? We're just going to play every card we have and we're going to give this kid a chance and we're not expecting anything from him. But you know what, kid, come up, uh, get a taste of the big league level and see what you can do. In some ways, I think, you know, the minor league season going late this year uh, kind of hurts them in this regard, because if the minor league season were over Labor Day weekend, the way it normally is, I would make the argument that like he was he would be the prototypical cup of coffee in the big leagues, let him hang around, give him some at bats. If he does well, great. Like all of a sudden you kind of put him in the lineup, but you know, you call him up. You're not expecting anything from him in September when the rosters expand kind of that old school thing. It's obviously not in play this year. So I don't think they would have that approach, but that would have been a perfect scenario in the past where it's like, this is our top prospect. The minor league season's over, but you know what, kid? It'll be good for you. Come hang around the big league clubhouse. We'll give you some at-bats. You can get a taste of it, but we're not expecting anything from you. No pressure. And then maybe he hits his way into the lineup type of thing. I, I They don't have that luxury this year, though. Yeah, and, and Bloom has made it clear that the player's development is his priority. He said that clearly on the record to me when I said, why did you guys wait so long to call up Jaron Duran? You could have used the left-handed hitting outfielder the majority of this season. It would have helped your team. And he said very point blank, 
the team needs are less important than the players development, which is shocking to hear from a Boston Red Sox uh, executive. Yes. That the players development is more important than what the Boston Red Sox need to win a game. Um, but that's, that's where he looks at this thing. Uh, now you can make the argument. Have they done what's right for Tanner? Houck this entire time has the players development been the priority for Tanner? Houck? Uh maybe not. They've, certainly roped him around a a little bit and it doesn't seem like they've prioritized his development uh, over team needs. Um, So he's going to eat his words. If he goes out and has to call up Tristan Casas, who's not even has an 800, doesn't even have an 800 OPS in double a, the one thing I will say that he reminds me of is, and you look at the numbers, the plate discipline is there. Only, Only 40 strikeouts and about 200 plate appearances, 22 walks. And when I think about a young guy who's not ready to come up, who comes up anyway, I think we all go back and think about Xander Bogarts in 2013. Mm-hmm. You know, Xander was doing pretty well in double A and triple A that year. Yep. He wasn't like destroying the ball, but he had great plate discipline. His strikeout numbers were not very high. His walk numbers were great. And if you bring up a kid who has good plate discipline, hey, he doesn't have to hit a lot of homers. Can he just get on base? Can he come through with the hit here and there? Can he be a left-handed bat that they need that they don't have? I've, I've kind of convinced myself that at some point in the season, we might see this guy. The Bogarts comparison is is a good one because I was in Portland in 2013 when Bogarts was there and he got off to a rough start that year in the month of April. No surprise, by the way, kid from Aruba in Portland, Maine in April, having a rough start. And then in May and June, he just got locked in and Jason, they pitched him like a big leaguer every night and his command of the plate, his approach at the plate was tremendous. It was off the charts. They sent him up to uh, to Pawtucket. Uh, his numbers were good in Portland that year by the time they sent him up. I mean, because he had caught on fire. But, I mean, he was perfectly fine in Pawtucket. He was he was adequate. He spent two or three weeks there, and then they called him up when they were out on the West Coast. And Bogarts has talked about this. He said he was in the middle of like an over 10 slump in Pawtucket. And he, he said to the organization, it's like, you, you you need me? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 0 for 10 down here. Like, you need a guy like me? I'm not hitting the ball, but they believed in him. And obviously they were right. He played a big role at a big, a couple big hits in that world series. And you know, there you go. So I think the argument could be made with Casas. Um, he's not as experienced as Bogarts. Uh, he doesn't have as much experience as double a as Bogarts did, but uh, you know, I mean, we'll see, uh, you know, I, I think you could make that argument for sure. He can't be less confident than Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, I haven't seen I'm a more player... confident than Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, you feel for the guy. I haven't I seen a player lack visible confidence like him in so long. I mean, it is so obvious that he is in his own head and has been for the majority of the season. Like it's transitioned to his fielding. Even Alex Cora said it, which is like usually, you know, Cora's defending his players. Oh, no, don't worry about it. He's like, nope. Yep. We're absolutely seeing it. Even with his fielding. I mean, how do they keep giving this guy at bats? That I'm not sure about. Uh, I don't know why he's not in Worcester at this point. I guess the argument is we literally don't have anybody else, which is another frustrating thing about the deadline here, Jason, because, you know, the Yankees are getting instant impact from Rizzo, right? All of these teams are getting instant impact from the guys they brought in. Uh, Baez homers, uh, Bryant homers, instant impact. Uh, Barrios was good in his start for, for the Blue Jays. And sure, the Red Sox added, you know, I think an impact player in Kyle Schwarber, if he's healthy, and he's not on the field right now. So what, we're still going to trot out Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero every single night at first base? You know, you could win or lose the division by a game. You, you know, Lord forbid you you miss out on the wild card by a game or two. And I, I don't think that'll happen. I think they're still going to the playoffs. But I think you know what I mean. You know, a sense of urgency here. 
the fact that they're still trotting Dahlbeck out there pretty much every night at first base is a is a real problem. It's a significant it, problem. I mean, the guy's completely lost it at this point. Uh, it, I feel bad for him. The confidence is completely shot. You see it in the plate. You see it mostly in the field where I think he's a good player uh, in the field, but he has not been in recent weeks because I think he's carried over his struggles at the plate uh, to, to first base. Yeah, and, and and you look at like teams like the Oakland A's. They just picked up four players at the de- or at, at like the buzzer. They added Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes. Um, I don't think they gave up much for them. No, I mean you can't tell me that the Red Sox couldn't have just used some more bodies here. I mean Marwin Gonzalez has been terrible. He's consistently hurt. Danny Santana, likewise. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck is unplayable. Like they could have just used some bodies. They didn't even get any bodies. Well, and that's where the luxury tax comes into play again. I mean, you know, they got Robles uh, from the Twins, but they had to beg the Minnesota Twins to pay his salary. I mean, it's just the Boston Red Sox should never operate like that, uh, you know, Jason. And, you know, again, it's not about getting Scherzer or Barrios. It's about getting guys who can help you. It's about getting guys who are just everyday average perfectly nothing special big league players even role players you know go out and get a Steve Pierce type go out and get a Bobby Kilty and again Schwarber should help them when he's healthy but the fact that they didn't add bodies at areas of need uh, that's just inexcusable to me and it comes down to to ownership and the tax and you know maybe to Heimbloom a little bit as well for not being willing to give up mid-tier prospects for rental players one-year player role year you know role players who can help this team win this year, but he values the 16th prospect in his system more than a guy like that. Yep. Absolutely crazy. All right. We got a little bit more with Matt McCarthy coming up. We're going to talk about the series in Tampa and what he's thought of some comments from the players. Uh, First, we are sponsored by built bar. Did you know that built bar has nine delicious flavors? Um, I've tried three of them so far. I really like the cookies and cream. Uh, I don't know if you've had a built bar before, Matt. I got to try this. I love cookies and cream. I'll do cookies and cream, anything. Okay, so the thing about Built Bar that's cool, if, you, if you're used to protein bars that like you can kind of taste like the crumbliness of the protein um, or there's like a lot of sugar and you're like, what's the point of even eating this? The Built Bars don't have that. They're only four or five grams of sugar. You get 18 grams of protein and they're really chewy. They kind of, they kind of remind me of like a Tootsie Roll or something. Um, they're just soft and, and chewy and you don't taste the protein. So I love the Built Bars. If you haven't tried them, they have a mixed box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors in the mix box. So if you go to built.com today and use the promo code locked 15, you will get 15% off your order. So go to built bar built.com use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your order. All right. Back with Matt McCarthy of 985, the sports hub. Uh, the Red Sox just got decimated by the Rays this weekend. And I know the last game, they weren't decimated. It was a three to two game. Um, they were in it, uh, but it just felt like they were decimated. It just, the feeling around the team was like, this team just got knocked backwards so far, like in a way that they haven't been knocked backwards at all this year. And uh, you know, Xander Bogarts, I think some people were like, oh, why did he say this was a must win game? He put some pressure on the team. My take on Bogarts is there's not a single player on this team or in this franchise who has a better feel for what the locker room needs. And that includes Alex Cora. I think Xander Bogarts is the one guy who understands what's going on in this locker room better than anybody. And if he thought it was time to call out his team and tell him it was a must win, uh, I, I believe him. And by the way, they came out and played their best game of the series on Sunday. Night. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's BS to start yelling at Bogarts for saying that, and like some people have on Twitter, um, they just they just got beat, you know. So how, how much do you feel like is it, it was an attitude thing this weekend? 
or a talent thing or I mean, what's your takeaway from what happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a mix of both. Honestly, I know, listen, you're supposed to have a take and say it's one thing or the other. Frankly, it's both. Let's be real here. Um, you know, I, I think they were obviously, you know, the players were upset, at least to me. Uh, that they did not do more at the deadline. When you look at everybody else, you know, you look across the diamond, you see Nelson Cruz in the lineup for the Rays. And if you're the Red Sox, you're saying, well, hold on, we just added a couple guys to our bullpen. And sure, Schwarber's coming, but we need help now. Get us help. And I mean, the message was loud and clear from ownership, and it was loud and clear from Bloom in the front office which was, we kind of don't believe in you. You know, everybody else is is improving at this deadline. We're, again, the guy we got is a few weeks away, and the reason we got him is because his value was depreciated because he was hurt, whereas the Yankees added a legitimate first baseman. So I don't know how the message, you know, wasn't sent to the team that we kind of don't believe in you. And they played like a team that just had their front office say, no, no, nah, we don't believe in, in in you at all. So you know, I think you saw that for the first time, they weren't really a very resilient bunch, and that's been their calling card, uh, calling card all year. Resiliency, guts, balls, grit. As I've said, they lead the league in it factor. You didn't see that from them this weekend. And, I mean, I do think it's a talent thing, too, because their flaws were exposed in July. They went 13-12 and 12 in July. That continued into this series. They didn't play some great baseball uh, leading into the All-Star break, coming out of the All-Star break. So I thought that was a, a continuation of that. But it was magnified by the fact that, you know, that ownership in the front office sent a loud and clear message that they don't really think that this is a, a championship caliber team, a pennant winning team, whatever you name it. And they didn't improve the deadline. So I think that's that ultimately reflected in the play on the field this weekend. Yeah, I, I, it's it's just impossible to say. But how can you how can you argue that it didn't affect them? Well, what's I mean, the first so- thing Alex Cora did before the series? Alex Spear reported this. He showed the team a hype video of Kyle Schwarber. Why would you do that? <laughs> Other than you feel like the team is down on themselves because you feel like the front office didn't improve. Well, hold on. This guy's not here, but he's coming, guys. He's coming. Here's the hype video. So, I mean, that was the dead giveaway before the series. Uh Uh-oh, they're not feeling good about this because Cora's got, you know, to your point, has a real pulse on the team, as does Xander Bogarts. Why else would you show a video? You don't show a hype video if everybody's feeling good, right? Great point. Great point. And, you know, we've obviously heard way too much Chris Sale pump up uh, over the last few weeks for them, as opposed to, Hey, when he gets here, he gets here. We'll worry about him. Then right now we're focused on the- Nope. It's been like, Oh, Chris sales coming. He's coming. And we know it. he's going to be the best trade deadline acquisition we could ever make. You know, this guy's it. Um, they've put so much pressure on Chris sale to the point where, I mean, thank God he's a guy who's proven he could handle it. Uh, he can handle the pressure, but you get a little bit concerned about, well, what happens if his next start gets delayed what happens if you know there's a setback does this team suddenly feel like oh my god now we're we're screwed without them uh they've put so much pressure on sale and schwarber maybe you know they got to survive these next 10 days they got three against the detroit tigers which they really need to get back on track because then they go right back to toronto uh to play the blue jays who are playing really well three more against the rays and by the time they get chris sale and kyle schwarber back they could be they could be five games back in this division So this, to me, this is like the biggest 10 day stretch of the season. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've said it, you know, for the last few days here, it's great that you have Chris Sale coming. It's great that you have Kyle Schwarber coming because people have said, hey, McCarthy, you know, pipe down a little bit. The Red Sox, they'll be all right. They've got help coming. My question to you is, what place are they going to be in by the time Schwarber's here or by the time Chris Sale is here? 
And don't get me wrong, both of those players could have a tremendous impact on this team and could really change their fortunes heading into the playoffs. I don't you know, deny that possibility one bit. But it does seem like a lot to ask from a guy coming off a bad hamstring injury and a guy coming off Tommy John. Because let's say Chris Sale isn't Chris Sale, or let's say he has a setback. Let's say he just can't even you know, make starts for a couple weeks, whatever it might be. Well, that's the difference between you making the playoffs and missing the playoffs. Like that, that like what is your backup plan at that point? Which is why they should have added the deadline. Add, you know, a contingency plan here because it feels like they have one altern, you know, one option at this point, which is Chris Sale and Kyle Schwarber coming back from injury and giving them something. And if that doesn't work, I don't know if they have a fallback. I don't know where they are at that point. Yeah. Or, or if Sale comes back and goes five innings and gives up three runs, and then he goes six innings and gives up three runs. I mean, if he's not an ace. Do they just, you know, put their head between their legs and go to sleep? I mean, they, they haven't been tested at all this season. This is a four-game losing streak is the first of the season. You know, they haven't had any big injuries. Like, a lot of teams have suffered so many injuries this year. The Red Sox haven't. This is the first time they're being tested. And so this is going to show us a lot about what this team is made of. And, you know, I guess my last point before I let you go is, is you look around the league and you say, well, why did all the other American league teams feel like they can go for it? You know, why did three other American league East teams feel like they could load up while the Red Sox didn't. And you look at the advanced numbers, you look at the run differential. It's like, there are five American league teams with a better run differential than the Red Sox. There are five national league teams with a better run differential than the Red Sox. Yeah. This is a team that wins close games and comes from behind and they're gritty and all that. But if you're a front office guy and you're analyzing the numbers, you're saying this Red Sox team is catchable. And I think that's the message that kind of got sent as well is that other teams think that they could catch the Red Sox and they made that clear. And the Red Sox pretty much said, yeah, you probably can, you know, we're not really investing in this team. Um, I, I think high bloom is going to get destroyed at the end of the season. If it doesn't go well for the Red Sox, Alex Cora is pretty much on a no lose situation. No matter what happens, he's, he's a hero on this team. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't have a question, but that's, that's where I would leave it off. Well, I, I think you're spot on Jason, because the rest of the league did say this league is winnable. The American league is winnable, which is in some ways a direct or an indirect reflection on the Red Sox, because they've been at the top of the league for the vast majority of the year. And we know they've overachieved, whether you look at base runs or run differential or any, you know, analytic to determine that the Red Sox have overachieved. I just use my eyes and I just use my gut and I say they've overachieved. But the problem that I have as a Red Sox fan and the problem that I think a lot of Red Sox fans have is, okay, you have overachieved. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because you put yourself in a position to, if you go out and improve your team significantly at the deadline, just like everybody else, well, then now all of a sudden your paper kind of matches your overachievement. Like when you look at the talent on this team, if, if you added Danny Duffy, if you added a CJ Crone, you added Ryan Tapera, well, then all of a sudden you are the best team in the American League. Maybe you weren't on paper entering the deadline. But if you do what everybody else did at the deadline, well, then maybe you're much more in line with that overachievement. Maybe the talent on paper is much more in line with the standings on paper. And I just think they unfortunately, you know, passed on an opportunity to improve. We will see at the end of the year if they do not win the division, if they, you know, are the wild card team or Lord knows if they don't, you know, if they don't make the playoffs. It will in some way be a reflection on what Bloom and ownership did at the deadline. And it's going to be fascinating to look back. We won't have to wait long until we get the answer on this, Jason. Yeah. 
and you really only get two chances, I think, as, as a GM in this city. If you blow your first one, you get another one. If you blow that one, you're done. And so this was Bloom's first chance. He's yep. playing for the future. If he blows this one, he's got one more. What happens next year? So it's going to be fascinating to watch. There's no question. So glad we had you on the show. Matt McCarthy from 98.5 The Sports Hub. Where can people follow you and, and find your stuff? Uh, you can check me out at Matt McCarthy 98.5 on Twitter. Uh, I do respond uh, generally. Uh, I do engage. Uh, and yeah, this time of year, you can find me a lot on Felger and Maz, uh, the baseball hour on 98.5, the sports sub, uh, you know, leading up until Labor Day, you'll be hearing a lot of me. So sorry about that. Fair warning. And, and the hardcore baseball podcast, hardcore baseball podcast, where you can check out like eight or nine appearances with Jason master Donato <laughs> master. You're always, uh, one of my favorite guests to have on. So nice to do a little home and home with you here. Yeah, this was great. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back later in the year when we, when we have more answers, anytime we could dissect who's to blame. All right. Well, that's it for us today. We have another great show coming on Thursday, so be sure to check back. Um, leave us a review. You could follow me at jmastrodonato on Twitter or read my work in the Boston Herald. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. This episode was brought to you by the Locked on Bets podcast. Betting on the Red Sox doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the Locked on Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. You're the man, Master. Recording stopped. Nailed it. I will. Uh...